Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Boss Up Podcast, episode 248. I'm your host, Emily Aries. And today's episode, I think, is going to be relatable for a lot of us right now. If you're like me, comfortably posted up at your home office right now, you're probably not amongst the few folks I've talked to who miss water cooler chatter with their colleagues and a one-hour round-trip commute or having to swipe your badge at the entrance of your workplace Or maybe you don't miss how things used to be as it pertains to your day-to-day office life. If that sounds like you, you have a lot in common with Brittany, who inspired today's episode by writing in an email to the Bossed Up podcast all about how to talk your boss into letting you work from home for forever. A lot of us have been called back to the office. The other week, I did an episode all about knowing your rights around that, especially if you feel like your health and safety is at risk. Um, and how to advocate for flexibility as needed. Today, we're really diving even deeper into that conversation with a workplace rights attorney and expert who you're going to love. So stick around if you want to learn, you know, what our options are legally or from a labor movement perspective to do all that we can to turn what used to be your regular day job into a remote job forever, which is highly requested question for the podcast these days. I'm afraid we don't have too many perfect answers for you, but listen to what Paula has to say, my fantastic guest, Paula, who you're going to meet in just a moment, um, and take it to heart so that you can advocate on your own behalf as best you can, which is really all we can ask, right, is that you make your voice heard and you speak up on your own behalf. Now, if speaking up on your own behalf has been historically a challenge for you, you might want to check out my brand new offering, Speak Up, an intensive online group program to help women master the art of public speaking and really owning your voice in a world that has historically not made it very welcoming for women to own your voice. I'm so excited for this two-month program that kicks off August 10th, enrollment closes August 9th, or when we sell out. And over the course of eight intensive interactive weeks, you'll learn a ton through video lessons, interactive activities, and two-hour deep dive mastermind calls every single week when you and I and the rest of our cohort in small groups will practice the art of owning your voice. We'll talk through everything from how to calm your nerves, how to give great presentations, to how to just handle everyday off-the-cuff speaking up or even more sticky conversations like dissenting 
or disagreeing without being disagreeable. You'll also hear from a handful of other public speaking experts who can help you really own your power as a more introverted professional uh, and make your voice heard in an extroverted world, and how to hone your everyday charisma to learn how to read any room and connect with anyone. It's going to be a really incredible program. It's brand new. Learn more at bossedup.org slash speakup. All right. So in the spirit of speaking up, I want to pass the mic to my fantastic guest today, Paula Brantner. She's an attorney who's advocated for workers through legal aid at work, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, the National Employment Lawyers Association, and Working America. She's personally counseled thousands of individual workers over the course of her 25-year career as an employment attorney, and she's been a longtime supporter of Bossed Up and myself. Uh, We brushed shoulders and originally met back in the world of campaigns and elections when I lived and worked in D.C. Um, She's been a guest here on the Bossed Up podcast in the past, talking through sexual harassment and the Me Too movement at work and how to navigate those very sticky situations. And Paula is back to share with us right now her advice in response to Brittany's question, which you'll hear me read from in just a moment. Um, And as a small programming note, my audio quality in today's interview is less than ideal. It's not my usual fancy schmancy mic that I'm currently speaking into now because when we recorded this, believe it or not, I was actually on the road while my home office was fully packed up and our house was having some work done in it. So bear with me. It's a great interview. What Paula has to say is really important. So hang in there and I'll be back to close things out after our interview. Paula, welcome to the Bust Up Podcast. Great to be here, Emily. I should say welcome back to the podcast because this is the rare returning interviewee who I'm so delighted to hear from again. I think our last topic was a fun one as well, like sexual harassment in the workplace, if I recall, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's great to be back. (laughs) Well, I always bring you in, Paula, on the just, you know, the light and easy topics, things like, what do I do if my boss is hitting on me? Or things like, can my employer force me back into the office in a global pandemic, which is sort of what we're going to talk about today. Thanks for for, um, being our go-to workers' rights professional. I appreciate that. So give our listeners a reminder of your background, your area of expertise, your work. How did you get into this when it comes to workplace rights? So I I went to law school, and as I was in law school, I really gravitated towards employment law. And my my first few jobs in my career were as an employment lawyer. And then I ended up with a nonprofit for 18 years called Workplace Fairness, which provided legal information to workers about their rights. And in that capacity, I counseled literally thousands of people about you know what to do when when things go badly at work. Right. And this year, I feel like things have gone extra poorly (laughs) for so many of us. And, you know, I recently did an episode that underscored some of our rights to be aware of if we feel unsafe at work, if we feel like our health is being put at risk, what to do. Today's episode, inspired by our listener, Brittany, really has to do with remote work. To paraphrase, and just really to read a snippet of her email into the show, here's what she said. I love your podcast. It's helped me to be more confident and informed. Thanks, Brittany. 
I have a question about trying to advocate for my office job to become a remote one. I've been working with my state Supreme Court for four years now. I really like my job. The pay is great. And in the past, they've been flexible with me in my two pregnancies and various doctor's appointments for me and the kids. In my job, I handle court documents through a database. I'm completely and consistently on the computer. And we are expected to do some site visits to counties, but due to COVID-19, that's all been put on hold. When I first started the job, I talked to my coworkers and supervisor about the possibility of doing this job remotely. The response from everyone was that while they agree with me, the higher-ups won't allow it. She goes on to share how due to the pandemic, like so many of us, her entire workforce has worked remotely and that she absolutely loves it. She's able to spend more time with her kids. She feels like she's able to find a new balance in her life and care for her aging parents and in-laws. And she really doesn't want to go back. But now, as is happening in so many parts of the country, the great reopening means that she is being called back to work. Her big question, and I think a lot of my job search clients are asking this too, is can I advocate for a job that's not listed as a remote job or a job that perhaps wasn't always a remote job, but can clearly be done remotely? How do I begin to advocate for this to become a remote job situation? What's just some of the first pieces of advice you might give Brittany to think about here, Paula? In the past, there's been a lot of resistance to telework in some camps, uh, mostly based on, uh, I think, productivity reasons. The fear that an employee working at home isn't going to be as closely supervised, isn't going to get as much work done. Uh, I guess they're going to sit in their pajamas and not do anything. But what this pandemic has shown us is that's just not true. That many, uh, many employees, like the person who wrote to you, are even more productive, having much better work-life balance. Uh, are much better employees because of the flexibility of being able to do their job at home. So in some instances, that is going to be enough to overcome some of the institutional uh, resistance to telework. Unfortunately, in some other workplaces, there may still be that uh, resistance or hostility. And so that's where there are a lot of unknowns right now, but that's where you have to start is looking at what are the articulated reasons and have some of those reasons gone away with the experience over the last several months. That's a great question. Sort of putting the onus back on the institution to explain their policy, to explain why they're resistant to telework and why they are not making distance work an option. I wonder, you know, are there any legal areas of workers' rights that could be applied here? You know, is there a right to flexibility? Is there a right to certain accommodations that any workers should be aware of? Um, and if your health and safety feels at risk, because Brittany goes on to share in her email to me that she has to take an elevator and she's, you know, in a communal work setting for no other reason than to log on to her computer in her office by herself all day. And she feels fearful, as do so many of us, about exposure to coronavirus and bringing that illness back to her household with her aging 
in-laws and her young children, do we have any like official rights <laughs> or is there any gray area of the law that might be applied here? Well, it's very much a work in progress. As you probably know, a number of laws have been passed to deal with the coronavirus epidemic and uh, how those mesh with what is already in place is something that the lawyers are, are trying to figure out and HR managers and employers, everyone's trying to figure out how do all these things work together. And so uh, the most common way that we have accommodated uh, telework has been uh, when a person has a disability. Mm -hmm. And it's an accommodation that has been needed by many disabled employees. And there will be some new people who are newly disabled by COVID-19 by testing positive or experiencing symptoms. And so, you know, there may be people who already have the coronavirus uh, or have it in their family subject to isolation requirements, uh, they may have um, uh, the ability to have that accommodated. I think where the gray area is, is when someone is merely fearful that they themselves right. are not disabled, you know, caring for someone who is disabled. The other body of law where there may be some rights surrounds family leave and Brittany's childcare situation. There may be some accommodation of that. Uh, there's a provision in the pandemic response bills that provides for childcare leave, but that's leave. That's not necessarily telework. And so I think things are really going to come to a head when school starts and when places reopen because a lot of people are not going to have childcare remedies and they're not going to be able to do their jobs without some sort, you know, something's just going to have it to It is get. an unrealistic expectation that's being put on working parents right now in particular, right? Especially because I can't, I know this is like a very hot button issue, but I can't imagine a world in which we all go back to school and we're all okay with that. You know what I mean? Like the public education system is just not ready to safely reopen from my perspective as someone who values teachers' lives. Yes. But, and, uh, right? Certainly a lot of teachers are advocating that they are fearful. I read an article the other day where, you know, teachers' unions are working with lawyers on their wills and their durable power of attorney. Oh they are gosh. that fearful of going back to school. I mean, I totally understand. And there was an article written in the New York Times, a great op-ed back in early July, by Deb, is it Perelman, I think, who said you can have a kid or a job, you can't have both in a COVID-19 economy. And I feel like the argument she lays out in that article, which I'll link to in today's show notes, is just such a intractable one. You know, so many workers are juggling parenting in a completely scary environment with trying to work. And I just wish that I could see more of these institutions overcome their historic uh, opposition to telework and get on board with the productivity possibilities that are available for more workers. Well, I really feel like, you know, it's setting women in the workplace back 50 years or so. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. that we at least uh, had resolved some of these issues with anti-pregnancy discrimination laws and family leave and the acknowledgement that workers can be parents. But, you know, we're still in a situation where, unfortunately, most often it is uh, the woman's job that is viewed as more replaceable or more fungible. And if someone has to stay home, unfortunately, that falls more on women, mothers. So knowing that we don't as workers have any or have very few legal rights in this very shifting and evolving climate, when it comes to advocating anyway, you know, when it comes to asking for flexibility, you know, from your boss, your supervisor, your workplace that could very well legally say no, what have you seen work in the past? How would you approach that kind of a conversation? How would you recommend someone like Brittany start the conversation with her higher ups about overcoming that institutional resistance and seeing if she can have an exception to the rule carved out for her? Well, I think the first piece of advice I would give is don't go it alone. She is almost certainly not the only person in the workplace with children, not the only person in the workplace with aging parents and in-laws, not the only person juggling this with her spouse or partner. And there are a lot of her coworkers, I can guarantee, who are having the same fears about going back to work. And so I think it's really important in this time for everyone to stick together, to come together as much as they can to advocate for a safe workplace and advocate for better productivity, increased functionality, the Keep everyone working and not having to retrain the new people. Just all of these factors coming together. And you would like to think that the state Supreme Court doesn't want to send the message that uh, it's not going to value its workers and ensure a safe workplace for them. But really, that's what they're doing. I mean, I wonder, given your history in employment law, and I feel like you and I run or used to run, at least, in the same circles in D.C. back when I was working more explicitly in politics and campaigns. You know, this reminds me so much of the need for a strong labor movement. And in so many ways, organizations like Workplace Fairness and Bossed Up exist because it is extraordinarily rare for my millennial peers to say, oh, yeah, my union has my back on that. You know, collective bargaining is a no-brainer because that's what unions are for. In this environment where so few of us have a formal structure like a union negotiating and advocating on our behalf, uh, do you see this as like a moment in history when the labor movement could rise again? Or, Or how do you see this historically in the context of a declining labor movement, when we're talking about collective action for a reason? Well, I think uh, it's hard to make any predictions right now. I mean, talk about our bingo cards for 2020. We could have predicted a little better than we have, but we still, there's so many things that we really 
are finding unprecedented in terms of how to deal with this, either in the law or in just practical day-to-day work terms. That being said, I think that there have been and will be a number of opportunities for unions to really prove their value and distinguish themselves. And, you know, teachers unions, service worker unions, these folks are the true essential employees. They are putting their lives literally on the line. And a lot of uh, instances that we've seen so far have been unions calling attention to the working conditions that they are under. And so I think we will continue to see that. And for example, again, back to teachers unions, I think teachers unions are going to play a critical role in what happens in the next month and what back to school looks like uh, this year. They know we're not ready and they know that it has to be approached differently than it's currently being uh, considered. Even if you don't have a union, probably now is is not the time to try to start one um, quickly enough to advocate for you on your behalf. But again, even though you're all working at home, that doesn't mean that you should be isolated from your coworkers. And I think having conversations with other coworkers that you know to be in the same boat. If your supervisor your supervisor may be in a better position to advocate for you than what happened in the past. You know, they said, you know, I'm in support. It's the higher ups that aren't in support. But you know, how can your supervisor help you make the case that, you know, no balls were dropped. You're actually more productive and there's there's literally no barriers to continuing Uh, work the way you have for the last several months. I am so glad you brought that up because I call that secondhand advocacy. And whenever I talk things through with my clients as it relates to negotiation and in our entire step-by-step negotiation guide that we have available for free, I talk about one of the common roadblocks is not that women won't advocate for themselves per se. It's that women's bosses are not always down to negotiate on our behalf. And so what can you do, practically speaking, to help your direct supervisor or manager become more comfortable and equipped to have that conversation with their boss if you feel like they're the weakest link? Like if you could just negotiate on your behalf with the CEO, you'd be fine. But you have to go through a manager who seems very resistant to that. I wonder how you might set that manager of yours up to advocate on your behalf. Well, each workplace, as you know, is a little different. But I think there are some commonalities in terms of looking how your performance is now evaluated prior to March. How was your productivity measured? What have your reviews been like? What track record have you established as an employee over the last four months? And if for that several years, I believe it was five years, um, that she has worked there, if she's been a great employee that everyone loves and values and is, is acknowledged to have been doing her job Uh, in an excellent fashion, then it becomes a matter of just showing that, 
again, there hasn't been a dip in performance that she made that adjustment to working at home and demonstrating all the things that did get done uh, during a really tumultuous time. And the, you know, the people who are able to adapt and be flexible and demonstrate that, I think really have a leg up. I know that not everybody has enjoyed telework and has not adjusted that well to right. you know, a much less social environment or a much less supervised environment. But for those who have and are advocating for themselves to do that in the future, I think it becomes an easier case to show why this is a great adaptation that makes you a better employee, a better asset to the organization. So just think about how you would show that. I love that word adaptation or like this is an evolution of your role um, that could actually be a benefit to everybody. Yeah. And I love the idea of taking stock of all of that and then putting it in written form, <laughs> right? Like having a conversation with your manager, sure, but also giving them the memo that literally spells out, here's how my performance has not only maintained or sustained, but improved while working from home and giving them the evidence can equip them with literally something for them to bring to their boss and help make the case. I like to say whenever having conversations like that to look backwards in measuring your progress, like you've, you've mentioned, Paula, and look forwards and say, here is exactly what I propose. Here is how this could work well. Here's how we could overcome any stumbling blocks that might emerge from me being at home and while everyone else is in the office. And really saying, here's a picture of a brighter tomorrow. And this is what I'm asking for. I guess one of my, my most nerve-wracking parts of negotiation on something like this for a lot of employees stems from the ultimatum of, okay, if the answer is no, 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 or this is not going to work, when and how does a worker consider staying or going as their next best option? And and communicating that in a way that doesn't necessarily sound like a threat <laughs> to your boss, but just saying like, listen, in order for me to stay here and get this done well, I really need this flexibility to make it work. I think Brittany in her own email says, I really, really want to stay home and work. I get the same amount of work done working from home. I'm way happier working from home she goes on to say that she's trying to look online for other work from home options, but for the time being, there's nothing out there that'll pay even close to what she's making right now. And she really doesn't have to change jobs because she actually loves her job. So I wonder, what does it come down to when she has a conversation like this with her supervisor about what she really needs to stay on? Well, I, I realize that's a really tough situation to be in, uh, especially right now where so many are unemployed and options are limited and and so many people are struggling financially and so on the one hand there's a mentality it's like i've got this job i have to hang on to it no matter what and i have to kind of put up with whatever uh they they dish out but there's also I think it's important to look at their mindset look at what unique value you bring to the job how hard it would be for them to find a replacement for you, especially in this environment, and how you make them look good. And 
are, you know, doing your job efficiently and effectively. And uh, again, finding other people that will be similarly uh, situated to you and similarly harmed if they have a blanket policy. They may have in their mind that if it's just one person, they can replace that one person. That may very well be true. Um, but if there are 25 people or 50 people or, you know, every workplace is a little different, but I don't think anyone wants to be trying to hire employees right now either. So <laughs> knowing, uh, knowing what leverage you have in that respect, um, I think will be helpful to that negotiation. I love that. It, it underscores just how ineffective it might be to say, make an exception for me, which was my inclination and in saying, well, how can I make an exception for myself? But instead, you're really bringing us back to our whole point here at Bossed Up, which is to lift as we climb, right? By saying a blanket policy is not helping any of us. Here's how I'm advocating in a collective way to show you the collective benefit and the collective problem you'll have on your hands if you don't get on board <laughs> with, with uh, the future of work. That's really inspiring, Paula. Yeah. One other aspect I just thought about is that uh, a lot of workplaces are very concerned about diversity as they be. Mm. And if this policy, you know, forcing everyone to come back is implemented, it is almost certain to make that workplace less diverse. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, who are the people that don't have children and don't have uh, aging parents and don't have a commute and don't have any disabilities? Um, you know, you make the list of all the people who are impacted by this and who does that leave? Uh, a few judges on the Supreme Court? You know, I... You look at a workplace and you see how the demographics fall. I think it's it's a really bad look right now for employers to consider their employees to be so fungible and disposable. Absolutely. Let's hope it's a bad look all the time. <laughs> That's the future I want to live in. Paula, yes. thank you so much for stopping by the pod sharing your thoughts. I know our listeners can catch up with you on your website. We're going to link to it in today's show notes. Any final uh, thoughts that you want to leave our listeners or leave Brittany with today as you sign off? Well, I think the, the resistance historically to telework is going to come crashing down. And uh, this has accelerated that. Um, but I think eventually all employers who don't offer that option are going to be left behind. Uh, you know, parents and families are going to demand it. Employees are going to demand it. And so it's just a matter of time. And I know that's uh, it's still kind of frustrating right now to have to go through this. And, you know, if you're called back to work, but uh, just mm. keep fighting this battle because I think it's one we will eventually win. I love that, Paula. Thank you so much for joining me again. Always such a pleasure to chat with Great you. Great to be here, Emily. And hopefully we won't have to wait for another pandemic. 
If you want to learn more and catch all the links to today's show notes and everything that we mentioned in our conversation today, you can always head over to bossedup.org slash episode 248. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week, which comes in from our friend Caroline, who is a member of the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook, who writes this. My boss kept telling me how much she appreciated my work during the pandemic and promised she would find a way to recognize me. She was hesitant to toss an employee of the month my way for a few reasons, among them acknowledging my distaste for being the center of attention. I suggested monetary recognition, half joking, half serious, and it worked. I got a 4% bonus today. Nice job, Caroline. What a good example of... You never know until you ask, even if you do ask half jokingly. <laughs> Congratulations. This is this is one of the craziest negotiation stories I've ever heard, but it is well deserved, I am sure. So kudos to you and your awesome boss for recognizing you in the way that companies really should, right? On their balance sheet, in their provident law statements, in their projections sheets. Let them put their money where their mouth is and uh, don't be afraid to speak up and ask for more. Congrats again, Caroline. Now, if you have a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want us to unpack next on the podcast, I am waiting to hear from you. Call your question in to the Boss Up Podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. That's 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Until next time, keep bossing y'all in pursuit of your purpose. And together, we will get through this mess that is 2020, which by the way, because you have stuck around to the very last moments, the very few final seconds of this episode, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Today, we at Bossed Up quietly released our brand spanking new, absolutely gorgeous, redesigned Life Tracker planners for 2021. And they are officially available right now for pre-order at bossedup.org slash life tracker planner. Y'all do not want to sleep on these planners. Last year, they went so fast. We didn't even start selling them until, what, October last year? And they were gone come January 7th. This year, we ordered a few more, but not that many more. And they are so beautiful. And they include a brand new feature that has been highly requested for years, monthly tabs. So we've adjusted the planner itself. It's gorgeous. And if you are like me and ready to just mentally escape this year and put 2020 behind us, reserve your copy right now. And if you are a loyal listener who listens to every episode on time when they come out (laughs) all the way to the last minute, you deserve to know that this week only, We've released them with a special week-long 20% off sale. So if you're ready to turn the page on 2020 like I am, pre-order your copy of our 2021 Bossed Up Life Tracker Planners now for 20% off at bossedup.org slash life tracker planner. Enjoy, and thanks for being a loyal listener. Listener. 